0: I know that for all of us, we're going through something or other, some of us more than others. And I'd like us to continue on in a spirit of prayer this morning, if we can. Um, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, great God of the whole universe, creator of all things, we are confident that you know us, each of us, and you love us, And you understand exactly our situation even as we sit here before you this morning. And therefore we pray to you, Lord God Almighty. We pray for those who are going through very difficult times of suffering and wondering and questioning. And we pray, Lord, for your comfort, your strength, your help, your ever-loving hands to support, Lord, and to lift up And to encourage. We pray, Heavenly Father, for a deepening personal faith in in all of us here. Every last one of us. And in all Christians, Lord. And a renewed faith for all who are troubled with doubts. And we pray that your church will be vigilant and courageous in, in upholding your truth. And your love, Lord God. Uh, We pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to the language of our culture and to the people of our culture and to every person who's seeking you in their lives. And Lord, we long for a thirsting after you. We long for a greater thirsting after you in our own lives and really in our society too, Lord, if you would. A longing for right living and justice and mercy to be valued and worked toward. And we long for our homes, our families, and our neighborhoods to really reflect your love in, in very practical and caring ways, Lord, through our hospitality, through our parenting, through our marriages, through our friendships, Lord God. And we pray. For those whose emotional pain and complex trauma really makes it difficult for them to accept that you love them and are willing to forgive them. And for all, Lord, who feel no hope, we pray for your mercy and your grace and the, the insight of your Holy Spirit. And we offer ourselves to be available where you need us in bringing your love and your truth to these people, Lord. And Jesus, we hear your prayer for us. Father, as you and I are one, that all my people will be one, so that the world will believe. And your prayer, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have this kind of love for one another. So we give you our thanks and our praise, Lord God, for your endless love and your patience, the patience that you show us day after day. And whenever we turn away, please turn our hearts back to you, we pray. And we ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, and our coming King. Amen. So Lenten season. I didn't grow up with Lenten season. I grew up with sort of the raw, raw hallelujah. Oh, you can't say that word in Lent, I think, right? I grew up with that though, right up to Easter, you know. So the idea of having the art covered and to having the music stripped down to just one person is a little different. And you know what? It's really good. I like. I love the band, but I love the simplicity as well. And so it takes a little getting accustomed to, but it was beautiful to hear your voices just coming today, to hear you singing about our, our love for the Lord and our desire for the Lord. So thank you for participating. We're in this march through Lent towards Easter, and um, our, our big title is Broken and Becoming, and we're walking with the disciples towards the Cross. And today, our, our subtitle is, Who Will I Listen To? And so, uh, Ruth and I were away two weeks ago when Mark opened up this series for us so wonderfully. Um, and at that time, he told the story of a shipwreck where one ship got two, just two degrees off line. And that caused a shipwreck because it was just, just two degrees off where it was supposed to be. And... Um, So I was thinking about that, how our lives, how we want to be on Jesus' track, don't we? That's why we're here. We want to be moving with Jesus in every part of our life, and yet we get sometimes 2% off. So I mentioned that. We were down in Nova Scotia, and I mentioned that to somebody in Nova Scotia, and they just went, two degrees off? If people were only two degrees off, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, what about if you're 40 degrees off or 80 degrees off of what God really is calling us to? And sometimes we are. But God always calls us back. And the season of Lent is this season for us to think about our lives and to think about where where are we? Like if this is the track that God wants us on, where are we right now? And um, so may the Lord refresh us with this. And so Mark's message was very Christ-centered and cross-centered, as it must be. And then last week, Elizabeth led us and such a wonderful—I'm so thankful for multiple voices here at Forest View, men and women, and for the, the 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 good explanation of the Word of God for us to hear and to respond to. And last week there were many many challenges in that message, but I think the idea of our hearts having confidence in Jesus Christ, this was really really helpful. The idea that God is too good to be unkind, and He's too wise to be mistaken. Therefore, if we cannot trace his hand, we can trust his heart. God is good. So today, what we want to do is to keep moving with the disciples towards the cross, and uh, who will I listen to? And this day, then, we are going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 9, and I think it's going to come up here, and probably some of the words may be a little different. I'm reading from the NIV, but let's see what we've got. This is the transfiguration, right? Peter, James, and John, the top, the big three, up the top of the mountain with Jesus. So here we go. About eight days, about eight days after Jesus said this, um, so there's a whole conversation before this. We'll refer to this in a minute. Um, He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. One of the other authors says it was like the sun. Have you ever peered into the sun? You're not supposed to do that, right? Not even in an eclipse, you're not supposed to look there. So brilliant. But this is what he says, that Jesus changed this. He was transformed this way, that he's just glowing, shining. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus I I was trying to figure out, how would they know that this was Moses and Elijah? They'd never seen him before, and they didn't have the nice little, uh, you know, storybooks that we have of the Bible now. We know what they look like, because we've seen them in the (laughs) storybooks. Anyway, they knew. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Is that what it says up here? His departure. Now, what would that be? I'm waiting. Somebody say something. <laughs> what? What? His death on the cross. I didn't wait long enough. I know. His death on the cross. So they come to encourage him in this. And so this next part, I think, is so significant, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And I think this is so significant because don't we sometimes think, oh, poor Jesus. He was, you yeah. know, those Romans, ah, oh, those other religious leaders, that they were so awful to him, and he was, the, he was the, the victim of this kind of thing. This passage of Scripture was saying that Jesus was not a victim at all. He intentionally was moving towards the cross, and nobody could dissuade him from that. Out of his incredible love for everybody, For the people of the world, like us included, Jesus moves inexorably towards the cross. This thing, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. He's doing it. He's going there because of his incredible love for us. So, um, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. (laughs) You almost have to laugh, don't you? These guys, these dear guys, they're just like us. They really do have good spirit towards the Lord, but they do really wrestle with weakness. So anyway, they're very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. Dear guy, do you ever feel like that? (laughs) I was just trying to do, ah, well, sort of flubbed it again. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And the cloud, if you know your Old Testament, is often this symbol of just God coming down. And it's sort of like, I don't know if it's just sort of like this. Those are my special effects, by the way. And a cloud appeared and enveloped them all. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I guess so. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Now, imagine that's a miracle for Peter to not go around blabbing stuff to everybody, right? But they were just so awestruck. Just okay, we boys, we better process this a little more before we say anything to anybody. This is so incredible. Well, let's take a look at this passage. First of all, it's very, very unique, and it's unique in the sense that yes, um, first heaven speaks about uh, heaven speaks about Jesus. Now we know that this happened once before, right, at Jesus' baptism. But this one is a little bit different, and it's it's still unique, and it only happens twice, that the baptism, God rips open the heavens, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In this time, he adds, listen to him, and he adds that he's chosen, this is the one that I have chosen. God the Father, the God who created all things, speaks out of heaven to say something about who this person is. The second thing that we see here is that two great, godly, dead guys appear. Now, who are these guys? Moses, first of all, Moses was a huge character in the Old Testament, right? In the early part of the Old Testament, he's the guy who, with God's leadership and help, leads them out of slavery and out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and, and, and then He goes up on the mountain and God gives him the law and he brings down the law and gives it to the people. This guy's a huge figure in Israel history. And then, of course, Elijah. Elijah, this great prophet. So when you think of the law and the prophets, they're all kind of summed up here. And the prophet who who comes and who defeats those other prophets of Baal. Do you remember up on the top of the mountain there? And he calls down fire from heaven. This guy is a power figure from the Old Testament, from the later part of the Old Testament. These two great guys who are supposed to be dead show up. Now, I've said this before. I want to say it again. We think... We're living in the land of the living and moving towards the land of the dying. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We exist in the land of the dying. Everything here is dying. Everyone is dying. I'm sorry to tell you, but we all are on that path. And we're moving towards the land of the living. These guys aren't dead at all. <laughs> they're alive. They're experiencing the eternal life of heaven and God gives them the chance to come back and visit with Jesus before he goes to the cross. There is eternal life. So here are these two guys. What a shock to them all. And the third thing is that Jesus, his face and his clothes just begin to shine like the sun or the lightning so that in effect what's happening here is that the glory of God, the glory that Jesus had before the creation of the world when he was present with God the Father and God the Spirit, the glory that he had and the glory that Jesus has now as the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ up in heaven right now, the glory that he has is somehow, it's, it's revealed here for this little brief time for Peter, James, and John up at the top of the mountain. They see who he really is, and it's just sort of blinding, like this. This is, the Old Testament calls this the Shekinah glory of God. Identifying who this person really is. The great, this great Jesus. So he shines. and um, So this just reminds me of a story, okay? I'm trying to tell you this fast. Ruth and I had a chance to go to the Grand Canyon at one time, and uh, so we raced to get there, and we stayed at Williams, which is about 100 kilometers south of there. Now, this is the States, of course, so they don't have kilometers. They have some other measurement. It's MI stuff, but never never mind. It's okay. So we stayed in Williams overnight, and then very early in the morning before the sun rose, I rolled over uh, to Ruth and just said, Ruth, come on, get up. Let's go. We got to see the sunrise over the Grand Canyon, and she said, I'm sick. (laughs) So I said, Oh, honey, are you all right? Oh, I just have this awful cold head cold. I can't move. I said, Was it okay if I go? She said, Yeah, go. So I hopped in the car, headed up, and I can see the glow in the sky to the east. And I think, Oh, man, I'm going to miss this thing. So I got to the Rangers um, booth, and I said, Where's the best place to see the sunrise? And this guy said, Mather's Point just over here. It's a promontory that sticks out into Grand Canyon. So I went over and I stood there and the place was already jammed full. Anybody ever been there? So people are there. They're wrapped up in blankets. It's cool. The cool of the morning, right? Everybody's here. And I heard all these languages, honestly. German, French, and on and on it would go. I even heard Texan. (laughs) (laughs) And so there we are, and I'm looking over to the east, and we're all waiting for the sun to rise, and then the sun starts to rise, and you hear, just hear this uni language. You hear it. Oh, and everybody's looking over here, you know, saying the sunrise. Oh, amazing. And then somebody looked the other way and went, oh, and so they're looking down into the Grand Canyon because as the sun rises, it shines down into the canyon, and it starts to reveal the colors in the wall of the Grand Canyon. So people are standing here, and they're going, ah, 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 and it was amazing. It was really awe-inspiring. So when I finished up, I thought, this is is quite amazing. I went back to to the car, and I thought, "Um, when I behold the heavens... The, the things that you've made with your hands. And what, is, what are humans that you're even mindful of us? I said, I'm going go back, I'm gonna read that. So I went back, and I turned, um, I turned to Psalm 19, which is the wrong passage, which turned out to be exactly the right passage. And this is what I started to read. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Yeah, I heard all these languages going, ah, ah, grandeur. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. There's something of the grandeur of God in creation. Is there? Absolutely. Have you ever stood on a mountain or stood beside the great lakes or an ocean or something like this and you just go, oh, it's amazing. Now, please hear this. Whatever glory you have seen in nature is small compared to the glory of the creator who made it all. What those three guys saw up on the mountain that day was awe-inspiring because they saw the glory of the amazing God who made the whole universe shining through the Lord Jesus Christ. The reflection is always less than the original. And the reflection that we see in nature is always less than the the glory of God in himself. And you know what? This really marked Peter, because Peter, of course, was there. And this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He reads this, uh, 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18. He says, This we did, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not making this thing up, he says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Amazing, eh? God is indicating something very, very powerful here. About the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to ask this question uh, very quickly here uh, about the context. Does that come up next? What's the next thing that comes up here? Why is the context important? Because immediately before this, Peter has said, um, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And, and he answers, uh, the, uh, you're the son of the living God, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So he knows who Jesus is. But as Elizabeth pointed out to us last week, he knows the who, but he doesn't know the how. And what I'm proposing this morning is that he doesn't even really know the who. Because Jesus and his grandeur and his glory is so much greater than he knew at the time. There was a mystery to this. So, so Huge. And then Jesus says this at the latter part of that passage. um, Truly, I tell you, uh, this is actually all in Luke 9, by the way. Luke 9, 20 and Luke 9, 27. Truly, I tell you, somewhere standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And so, in a sense, God gives a preview of the kingdom of God. The glory of God shining through Jesus Christ at the top of that mountain. So, anyway. So, Peter says... Ah. Let's, let's build three things here, three booths, three tabernacles, whatever they are, and let's just honor you and Moses and Elijah. Let's do this thing. And he didn't know what he was saying. Um, now, why is his suggestion not appropriate? What do you think? We need to remember how important Moses was and Elijah was to the people of Israel of that day. And it'd be natural for for Peter to say, well, let's build three things because all of these are so, these are such huge people in our history. But Jesus is not in their category. Jesus is so far above them. They are merely shadows of the truth, the reality to come, which is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is so far above. So what is God really saying then about Jesus? God is saying that Jesus is the absolutely unique son of his. There's a sense that all of us are sons and daughters of God by creation, right? Uh, We're made in his image, and there's something precious about every person in the world. And then... We're sons and daughters of the living God when we're born again into his family by faith. And we become new creatures. The old things passed away. All things have become new. We're sons and daughters of the living God. But Jesus is the absolutely unique son of God, God the son, who has come here to this earth as the savior. And so God himself rips the heavens open and says, This is my son, my unique son. This is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and you've seen his glory. The chosen, the anointed one. Chosen by God to redeem his people, to redeem all people. To purchase men and women for God, calling on men and women to respond to this beautiful call with faith. And belief. And to follow Jesus. And there's nobody like him. Now can I, can I put it this way? There's nobody like him. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not anybody who started any religion in the world. God Almighty rips the heavens open to say, he's the one. This is the one. So, Because he is the one, so what? Well, then we must listen to him. That's God's point here, isn't it? This is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. We must listen to him. And this is a message, of course, to Peter and the other two, but for all of us alone. Jesus has the words of eternal life. So what are the implications here now for us? He's absolutely unique. He's the rescuer. He's the Messiah. And we must listen to him and give Jesus priority in our hearts and our lives. I think in a way, we might like to be like Peter. We might like to build three booths or maybe a dozen booths and say, look, there are a whole bunch of options out here in the world. It's kind of a smorgasbord, so choose any one that you would like that really suits you well. God himself does not allow us to do that. He says, Jesus is the one. And um, in our pluralistic society, a lot of people would like to just build a long line of booths just like that. In our age of religious tolerance, it's like this smorgasbord. But the heavenly voice is clear. Jesus transcends All others, however great, and let us not deny that there have been many great people, many great leaders, many wonderful people who've done wonderful things. Jesus is in a category of his own. And we do not need arguments and clashes over religion. The world needs a savior. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what he's done. He set his face towards the cross and he kept moving towards it. He could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him, to set him free. But he set his face towards the cross to give his life as a ransom for many because of his incredible love for men and women. And he calls on us to believe in him and to follow him and to prioritize him in our lives. So I have a couple of things just as we think about Lent and about us moving toward, to, uh, forwards with Lent. How then do we kind of prioritize, give Jesus priority? And I think a couple of things may come up here, I'm not sure, Let's see. Oh yeah, chamomile tea. Uh, this was Elizabeth's point last week. That was, are you taking some time just to stop everything? Don't we live at a frenetic pace? Don't we? We do, all of us do. Are you taking some time to just stop and to meditate on the Lord? Now, last week, Elizabeth talked about just being quiet and listening and so on. You know, she said that because her head is full of scriptures. And so when she meditates, she's meditating on the scripture and and, in touch with the Lord. Some of us, we don't know the Bible so well, so we need to get in the scripture so that our thoughts are scriptural thoughts. Are you with me? So that When we're thinking thoughts, we're thinking godly thoughts, biblical thoughts, thoughts about the truth of God. And so for many of us, it's like if you have not been reading the Bible very much, here's a challenge for you. From here to Easter and beyond, I would suggest just start reading one of the Gospels and and read through about Jesus. And if you don't have that much time, just start at the last week of Jesus' life. And read through how he washes his disciples' feet and how they move through that Passion Week and move up to Easter and then the Resurrection. Just start reading this and soaking in Jesus. Give him him priority. And then, so there's this idea of chamomile tea, but also this idea of repentance that came out when Mark was speaking a couple of weeks ago. Repentance I don't know what you think about repentance, but oftentimes we think about repentance, oh, I have to feel so awful about things, I mean, getting sackcloth and ashes and just, oh, I'm such a worm, oh God, forgive me. But you know, repentance is really this emotionally healthy and spiritually mature decision to turn back to the ways of Jesus. So here are the ways of Jesus, and I'm at least two degrees or maybe more off or in different areas of my life, and it's this emotionally mature thing that says, you know what, I'm wrong. Emotionally mature people can say that. You know that. Emotionally immature people can never say that. I'm not wrong. What? Who are you? So emotionally mature people say, this is the way of God, and look at me, I'm off. Oh, God. I turn back to you. Emotionally mature, spiritually mature, I say, Lord, I want to be on your track again. Help me me recalibrate and get back to where you are. And so we do this, I would suggest really quickly, by three things. One is we draw close to the Lord. And however you draw close to the Lord, do it. And and, and usually it's in the reading of scriptures, and in times of prayer, and in talking to other people about the Lord, and meditating on on the scriptures. We open up our hearts to God afresh. Draw close to the Lord. The second thing is that we ask him to transform us. We're sick and tired of a head knowledge that doesn't make any difference in the way we live. So we say, God, I, when I'm in the scriptures, I don't want to just get head knowledge. I want to have transformation happening in my life. Would you change me? I'm ready to change. Show me something. Here's your track. Wherever I'm off track, Lord, show me. I want to know so that we can prayerfully work our way to get back to this. And then the third thing is, just talk about Jesus with somebody. This is a real stretching thing. A lot of us are kind of quiet people, especially when it comes to talking about Jesus. But maybe it starts around your dinner table, and you're sitting there with some friends around your table or whatever, and you just say, so how how have you been experiencing Jesus lately? Or... Maybe you say, well, why don't we read a scripture just as we finish our supper here tonight? Or something like this. And we just introduce Jesus into our conversations and we stretch, we stretch. And we grow. We draw close to the Lord. How do we give him priority? We draw close to him. And we ask him to transform us. And we begin to share him with others in some way or other, through love and through words. We're on this journey in Lent. Do you find yourself drawing closer to the Lord, taking some intentional steps to get closer to Him, to let Him transform you, and to let Him live out a little more in your life? It's a beautiful thing to do. This is the journey that we're on. So Lord, just now, We thank you for this amazing exposure to Father God speaking from the heavens, identifying you as the one, the savior, the chosen one that you've sent God to be the redeemer, the rescuer of the world. And you call on us to respond to you, to believe in you, to receive you into our lives. And we pray by your grace, Lord, that we will take deliberate steps during this time to draw close to you, however that is, to allow you to transform us, to see where we're off track, and to, and to be coming back, repenting, turning back, and to allow you to shine through us, Lord, in our words and in our actions out in our world. Lord, you know every one of us gathered here this morning. Would you refine us? and shape us more and more to live like Jesus would live if he were in our bodies to make a difference in the world in the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above all other names. The name at which every knee will bow one day. And we have the privilege to bow before you now and to thank you And praise you in that great name of Jesus. Amen.